How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Today's episode of the Locked On Knicks podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best and easiest way to purchase tickets for concerts or sporting events. Download the SeatGeek mobile app, Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then enter the promo code LONIX and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LONIX today. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Can't fall off, gotta family support. Gotta make sure you succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me, I'm about to take off. Hello, and welcome to Locked On Knicks Podcast. This is episode 137. I am your host, Jared Dubin. This is the first in our series of podcasts on the 2017 NBA Draft Podcasts. There will be 10 of these total leading up to the draft lottery a little bit more than two weeks for now. Uh, They're in a completely random order. I put the 10 prospects that people told me they wanted to hear about in an order randomizer, and this is the order they came out in. So don't read anything at all, like anything at all into who goes first or who goes last or anything like that. Like It just so happens that this podcast is going to be about Frank Nielakina, who there was a report that came out earlier this morning from Mark Berman that that Steve Mills went over to go watch Nielakina this week. Uh, that is a coincidence. I didn't do it because of that report. Uh, these were re- pre-recorded, some of them, and uh, that's just the way it came out. Um, but before I get you to the show, I want to explain the structure of what we're doing here as well. Um, In each episode, I'll talk to Sam Vecini, whose work you might know from CBS, Sporting News, Vice, elsewhere, uh, one of the best, I believe, uh, NBA draft prospect writers out there. I will talk to him about each prospect's best-case scenario, their worst-case scenario, and their most likely career path in the NBA. That'll give you sort of a holistic view of what each player is like and where they might fit into the NBA ecosystem. Uh, After I hang up with Sam, I'll talk to Brian Giberman, who I've talked to on this podcast several times. Uh, We talk mostly about how each player might fit with the Knicks based on a variety of different criteria that I took from an email sent to me by a listener named Q. Uh, I adjusted Q's system a little bit. So Brian and I Uh, Each grade every prospect on a scale from 1 to 5 in the following categories. Current talent, star potential, fit with Kristaps Porzingis, defensive potential, and fit in the triangle offense. After that, we discuss whether the player has the potential to be better than Porzingis uh, if he reaches his peak as a player. Uh, I think these are going to be pretty fun. we got a bunch of them in the can already, and we'll do the next few over the next couple weeks also so you hear about 
all of the top 10 guys before the lottery uh, chose 10 because the Knicks technically are the seventh seed going into the lottery and can drop as low as 10. So I wanted to definitely uh, give a, a view of the top 10 guys. Uh, let me know if you like the podcasts and if there's anything else you want to hear about these guys because I want to make them as informative as possible, I'm trying to give you know a lot of detail about what you can expect uh, if the Knicks make any of these selections because you know obviously this is a really big pick for the future of the franchise. Uh, so like I said, you can expect 10 of these over the next couple of weeks as well as a couple more Mellow Trade podcasts as well depending on the availability of guys as the teams they cover get knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, I don't want to keep running on here. So let's get you to the first part of the podcast with Sam Vecini. But before that, a quick word from today's sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of these older ticket sites want to change that. SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. Yankees started up. Mets started up. You want to go to those games? Use SeatGeek. It is always the first place I go to look for tickets for a game or a concert. I have the app on my phone. Use it whenever I want to get tickets. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. They do all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does the work, you save time, and you save money. SeatGeek also wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, Locked On Knicks listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek mobile app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Then enter the promo code LONIX. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek mobile app and enter the promo code LONIX today. Hey, man. How's it going? All right, Jared. How we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for, uh, for coming on and agreeing to do this. We're going to talk about 10 different guys, like I mentioned, and we're going to start with uh, a player that the Knicks reportedly have you know, strong interest in French point guard Frank Nilakina. He is six foot five. He was playing, I believe. I guess he's actually Belgian, but he's playing in France. He's six five. He doesn't have any you know, official measurements listed over on Draft Express. He's going to be nineteen years old uh, at the start of next season. Like I said, playing in France. Averages for this season: playing seventeen and a half minutes a game. 5.2 points a game with 57.8% shooting from the field, 44.2% shooting from three, two rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.2 blocks. Sam, what do you think Frank Nilakina's best case scenario as an NBA player is? So, yeah, let's. I'll, I'll just kind of start with a little bit more information on Nilakina, right? Because he's like probably the most unknown of these players, right? Of the top 10 or whatever we're going to talk about. He's probably the most unknown quantity, right? So he's like a six foot five. He's probably a little bit closer to six foot six. If you made me guess, uh, kind of a guard right now. I don't, I, I hesitate to call him a lead guard, uh, like full stop because he is not a crazy athlete. Uh, he is, still kind of developing in terms of his lead 
ball, lead ball skills, like lead ball handler skills. He is, uh, you know, so big and so long that I think he's going to be able to play the two, maybe even like guard threes, no problem. Uh, again, like I think he has like a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. If you made me kind of throw a number out there, like he is going to be like a plus five wingspan guy, plus six wingspan guy. Um, and just generally, he plays off ball in his uh, Strasbourg, which is his club team. He plays a little bit more on ball uh, when he plays for the French national team and youth French national teams. The question is, do you think he's a point guard? Do you think he's more of like a two guard who's going to fill in more as like a secondary player? Um, that's a that's a tough question. I, I don't really have the answer to that yet. Uh, he's still getting there. He's so young. He's just turned 18 years old. Uh, and it's going to take going to take some time for him. He's not this guy that is going to come in and be an elite level player immediately. Uh, he's going to come in. He's going to try and make an impact defensively uh, with his ability to shoot the basketball, which has improved drastically over the course of the last two years. Uh, he's going to be a really good team player who has no problem really, uh, uh, you know, facilitating for teammates both as a lead guard or being an extra pass guy on the wing uh in terms of his best case scenario i think the best case scenario is that everything with him kind of comes together and he improves his body and becomes a little bit stronger and a little bit uh more capable uh in terms of handling lead guard duties full time and if that happens you know you can see him becoming like a uh, a Drew Holiday that maybe even has a little bit more defensive versatility than Drew does. Um, if he doesn't end up becoming, well, let's talk about that. You, you wanted to go uh, high end first. So yeah, I would say like high end is probably like a Drew Holiday ish, uh, like very, very good, long defensive minded, uh, capable shooting and, you know, solid creator, not elite creator, but solid creating point guard. Yeah, so I have a, a very strange comp because watching him, I mean, I think you're right. Like, he gets grouped with the point guards um, because I think he does have that capability. But it's not necessarily what he is right now or even what he's going to be. You know, he's 6'5", you know, maybe 6'6". Six, six. He might not be done growing because he's only 18 years old. Uh, I think it's entirely possible that he winds up being just, like, a perimeter player that can swing through uh, each yeah. of perimeter positions depending on you know the way you structure your team and the thing that jumped out at me you know just because of the passing skill the ability to play multiple positions and I think like to me it sort of seems like and we'll get to this when we get to the most likely thing but the most likely thing to me is that he ends up being like a secondary creator that you can also like run your offense through on occasion yeah and because of that the thing that jumped out to me is the best case scenario offensively was like a guard version of Draymond, where it's like you can run the offense through him in a bunch of different ways, whether it's on or off the ball. And he's like, he's a very instinctual passer, and you can see a lot of uh, mm -hmm. things that don't necessarily present themselves immediately. So that was sort of the best case offensively that stuck out to me. Defensively, I'm a little worried that like he's super skinny right now. Yeah, like, I think he has the frame to add bulk. Like he's got wide shoulders. It's not like one of those kids where he's like a stick and doesn't look like he could add weight. He looks like I think he could. Like I think he was listed at like 170 right now. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he got up into like the 180, 185 range um, in a few years, like by the time he was 21, 22. And I think, you know, settle there through the rest of his career. And that, I think, would allow him to guard, like you mentioned, you know, maybe some shooting guards and small forwards in addition to, uh, you know, the point guards that I think he'll wind up guarding a lot early in his career just because he's so fit. But, you know, so best case scenario is like, Dream on light from the perimeter entirely, um, you know, because I am—I don't know that the shot is going to be consistent enough to make him a plus there. So I'm curious your thoughts on that sort of very weird, uh, admittedly, comp. Well, if the body fills out in a very tangible way. I can see that. But the thing with a comparison to Draymond Green is the way that his defense and offense work in conjunction with each other in what is an increasingly positionless NBA. Yeah, right? Just, that particular comp was like just in half court offense. I, I understand that, but because of the way that the two sides of the basketball in Draymond's case kind of, you know, coexist with, with each other, right? The fact that Draymond can play the five he can essentially be an initiating five right uh because of the way that his defense works and that 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 allows you to kind of surround him with four shooters in a way right or three shooters plus like a big with Nilakina, that kind of like conjunctive ability almost where you know you have this incredible two-way player that um you know, is able to guard bigs while staying small. I don't think that's really going to exist because I don't think Nilakina is ever going to be like a four. I think he's going to be probably like a perimeter one, two, three guy. Um, and in that way, that would mean that like you're going to be surrounding him with slightly less shooting in all likelihood, which kind of takes away from that. But like, I, I understand like in terms of getting him the ball, you know, at the top of the key on a pass after he comes up from the baseline. Um, you know, and letting him kind of operate and dime guys and slash a little bit. Uh, I do think that he can operate in that same way that Draymond does there as a secondary ball handler. But I just always caution people on comparing people to Draymond on either end because of the way that the two sides of the ball in Draymond's case work so incredibly well together with just how, you know, his game is so unique. That's definitely true, and that's a point well taken. And it's it's, it's hesitant. I think it, it would make me hesitate to make the comparison more if I were making it about a forward, because what Draymond's able to do from the front court is so rare. The reason I made yep. it like the backcourt version of it is because I think that at the you know the peak version of him will be able to play you know, within an offense as the one, two, or three, and that opens up the ability, like you said, to put really any kind of players next to him at the other two positions. You could play him next to two other point guards. You could play him next to a point guard and a shooting guard, a shooting guard and a small forward, two shooting guards. Like, I, th- I think that the the variety of his skill set at the, the peak that you project for him uh, would be such that you could, uh, could go that way. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Let's talk about the worst case scenario, though, and and I think that um, I'm expecting you to agree with this at least. But of the top prospects, it does seem like he probably has the lowest floor, just because he's the least—I don't want to say least ready, but the least complete player right now 
like the, the bones of a super interesting skill set are definitely there, and I think that his, his size and length will allow him to at least be a bothersome defender, even at if he completely busts offensively. But that, that's a super low floor if he's not able to put the skill set that he has together into a coherent offensive player. So I actually do think his floor is a little bit higher than that, I would say, because he, he's already a really good defender. Like even in like playing against adults in France, he's already a really good defender. Uh, you watch him in the U18 tapes. He's already a really good defender because of his length and because he really cares on that end, right? Like he's, he's actually just a very, uh, uh, a very tough minded defender who wants to stop you from scoring. Um, I think when you throw that with the ability that he has developed so much in terms of his jump shot over the course of the last few years, I think that his floor is probably something, probably something like a lesser version of Patrick Beverly in a way. Like I, I wouldn't say that his floor is Patrick Beverly because I think Beverly is turned into probably one of the most like 150 valuable players in the NBA just with how he's able to play with a variety of point guards on the perimeter. But I do think that because of his size, length, and shooting ability, he's going to be a guy that is going to be useful in some way, given the fact that he's capable of, uh, you know, knocking down jump shots already, and uh, his defense is already at such a high level that it's hard for me to see him not being an NBA player. How high that ceiling is necessarily, I have questions with. Uh, it's all going to come down to his lower body right now is super skinny. Uh, his, his calves, his, even like his hamstrings, it seems like his lower body is super skinny. The questions with those guys are, and this is something that happened with Giannis, right? When Giannis was so young, his lower body was so skinny. And as he continued to develop his body, he added explosiveness. With Nilakina, the question is, does he add explosiveness in that same manner um, as he continues to fill out his lower half? I have questions. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's very, it makes the draft an inexact science when you're talking about 18-year-olds uh, developing at that level. So I think that it's a tricky statement to make. It's very difficult to figure out exactly uh, where Nilakina's ceiling will be. But in terms of floor, like I said, if he even puts on 25 more pounds, which I don't think is crazy, or 20 more pounds, which is not crazy, uh, I do think that he's going to be a good defender who can knock down shots. And that has, in today's NBA, that has a relatively high floor. So let's, let's start here then. Why are you uh, so confident that the shooting uh, is going to translate over? From what I understood, maybe this is wrong, he wasn't that good of a shooter until this year. It was, it was really about like midway through last year, uh, midway through like last season, things really started to click into place. Uh, mechanically, the shot is good. Uh, sometimes with younger players, just body strength is something that goes uh, vastly underreported in terms of how uh, just being stronger can really help your jump shot consistency. And if you're stronger and if you're capable of, uh, you know, just repeating those mechanics over and over and over again, uh, it really allows you to improve quickly as a jump shooter. And whenever it's why it's not all that wild to see like these jumps in terms of shooting ability uh, from the time that guys are, you know, 16 to 20 years old. And it does seem like Nilakina's was more of just like he got stronger 
he continued to work on his shot and it actually is improved. So I am consi- I feel confident that he's going to be able to shoot at a 35, 36% three point percentage as a floor in the NBA at some point, but you know, maybe not right now. Maybe he's more of like a 33% guy and then moves up to like the 36% level. But I think he's going to be able to shoot at some point in the NBA. Yeah. So that, I mean, if that were true, that would change obviously as floor. um, to me, you know, the offensive skill set, it's, it's varied, but there's not necessarily something to to hang your hat on as, you know, a plus-plus offensive skill. And I think you know, the defensive versatility is there, certainly, and, and works hard defensively, like you mentioned earlier. And that will get you on the court. But I think unless you also have a plus offensive skill, there, there is a limit to the ceiling within the floor, if that makes sense. So, you know, the floor to me is sort of like a back-end rotation player, um, which is still good. It's just not yeah. necessarily, um, you know, top seven pick good. Um, which, which by of, the way, like the floor that I kind of mentioned with like Patrick Beverly, uh, like a lesser version of Patrick Beverly, that's probably about what that is, right? That's probably a, uh, not a lower, it's probably like a slightly more than lower end rotation player, right? Yeah, that, that probably makes sense. So, so I guess we're circuitously coming to, to sort of the same conclusion on that front. Um, let's, let's talk about the most likely case scenario because this, I think, doesn't get talked about enough uh, in the evaluation of prospects. You, know, you always see people talk about what they could be, uh, you know, if they put everything together, or you know what they won't be if a certain skill doesn't come along. But the most likely case, again, it's the most likely case. So I think that matters. You know, I think it matters more than the ceiling and more than the floor in terms of player evaluation or at least more than people like to admit to themselves when evaluating prospects. So to me, I put a lot of stock in what I think the most likely case scenario is. And I'm very curious what you have to say about that for Mila Kina, who I thought was Matilla Kina until like yesterday. So I, I would say that it's probably the most likely outcome for him to me is that he turns into something of a better Patrick Beverly, I think. Um, he's just bigger, he's longer, he's more versatile defensively than Beverly is. He might not ever be the defensive player that Beverly is in terms of like just being able to shut down opposing guards, but the versatility will help him kind of make up that ground a little bit. And I think he has more ball skills than Beverly does. I think he's going to be able to shoot the ball at some point at a 37, 38% clip in the NBA. I think he's going to be able to create secondarily, uh, either for others with dishes to corners on slashes from the wing or dishes out to the wing uh, whenever he gets down to the basket area. And, uh, you know, the, the size and length, I, I think it really helps. So I, I'm not huge on him becoming a star necessarily, but if you made me predict, I would say he will become something like a top 100 NBA player at some point. That's interesting. So my comparison is sort of off the wall, um, you know, which, which goes with everything else that I've said about him. It's like, the way I would describe it is like an 80% version of the pie-in-the-sky dreams people had for Dante Exum, where it's like this tall point guard that's super long and can work on or off the ball and just 
scope out passes that other kinds of point guards can't really see. Shoot a little bit, but not necessarily at a plus-plus level. Um, run your offense for stretches, but not necessarily be the foundation of the offense. Uh, and defend across two or three positions. That's sort of what I see, and it's I get that it's you know the international man of mystery thing, but that's just sort of what I thought of in terms of the well-roundedness of the skill set and incorporating both you know the high and low end of what I think could happen. I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Well, Exum is a tough one because Exum was such a scorer, right? Like they're kind of different offensively because Nilakina is a bit more comfortable spotting up from three or, uh, you know, kind of diamond guys and getting to the lane and creating. Uh, Exum was more of a slash and score kind of guy who might be able to play lead ball handler uh, as his passing instincts developed. Um, so they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum offensively, right? Uh, if you like consider shoot pass to be the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um in terms of defense, he's a little bit further ahead than Exum was defensively, uh, but he's not the athlete that Dante was. So, and the question is, like, Dante is such a tough guy to compare to because we don't know what the knee injury did to his athleticism yet. We're, we're finding that out now, and we'll find it out next year, I think, um, whether or not he's going to be the same kind of guy that people thought he would be whenever he got to the NBA. Um yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I, I don't think that that's – I think they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, but I understand the idea of, uh, you know, kind of a high-ceiling guy that is uh, just a little bit mysterious to American audiences still. It was, it was more of a, you know, what people projected for Exum than, you know, what he actually wound up being because, you know, what was sold pre-draft about – Exum was, you know, other than the international man of mystery angle, like tall ball handler who can create for himself and others, defend across multiple positions, and and be like a jack of all trades kind of a weapon that you could use in a whole bunch of different ways and opens up, you know, ev- everything that you want to do in terms of your team building. And that was more the angle that I was going with it, rather than you know the specific style with which they play their offense, which, as you mentioned, is different. Exum's more scoring-focused, and, you know, is a little bit more passing-focused. But I meant, you know, in terms of, like, the holistic view of the the kind of weapon that they are. And that was sort of where I was going with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I do understand that. I think that uh, the thing I, I would say is just that, like, no one knew what Exum could do defensively whenever he was selected. Uh, he, he was very much someone who came from uh, the Australian Institute of Sport and, you know, he'd never been asked really to defend at any point. And in his rookie year, he showed off this capability that he was, you know, he was essentially used as a three and D like off ball player uh, at in Utah, in Utah that first year. But that's, well, that was weird because that wasn't what he was projected as. He was projected as this like high level scorer who could create his own shot and who could shoot a little bit and who could do, uh, still wasn't quite as comfortable from NBA three yet. And like was still, it, it was still very questionable in terms of what he was going to do, um, on, in terms of his floor game as Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue call it. Um, 
but then he went to Utah and the floor game was actually pretty good and the scoring instincts weren't that good. So it's Dante is a weird one in general. I, I don't know what happened with Dante I, in the time that he got to the NBA, but he's a it's an interesting idea again in that like these guys are still very mysterious in terms of how are they going to like kind of all come together and it's because they're so young it's very difficult to kind of judge guys that are 18 years old that have been playing in a different league yeah uh i definitely agree with all of that uh, including and especially the fact that it's difficult to judge guys you know coming over from overseas and how that stuff will translate uh to america so sam thank you so much for doing this really appreciate it and uh now folks i'll get you to my conversation with ryan Giberman about how Nelkina potentially would fit with the Knicks. Brian, how are you, man? Thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. So, like I mentioned, we are starting today with six foot five French point guard Frank Nelkina. We're going to grade him in six categories. First five of them we will rank from one to five, and then the sixth is just a question. We're going to start with current talent, Star potential, fit with Kristaps Porzingis, defensive potential, fit in the triangle offense, and then end with, do you think he can potentially be better than Porzingis? Brian, rank from one to five Frank Nielakina on his current talent. I'd say four. To me, he looked, look, I'm, let me be very clear. I'm not an expert on these guys. I've watched each of them outside of Nicole. How do you pronounce his name? Frank, I can get that part. So I thought it was Natilakina until a few days ago. And as Sam Vecini informed me before we did the first part of this podcast, it's Frank Nilakina. Nilakina. So yeah, I mean, I've taken in as much as I could of these guys. And I've also, I like to read people that are more intelligent than me. So I can kind of, with putting the two together, just to... I just want to be clear to the listeners that I'm by no means a draft expert with these with these players, but using outside information plus doing some research on my own, I can somewhat intelligently talk about them. Uh, current talent, I would say, I'd say a four. I think it's one of those where people may assume he might not be able to contribute right away because he's playing overseas, but he's got a pretty good jumper. Pretty advanced. He could, could run some pick and roll. His defensive ability is pretty pretty solid. What what you like is when you watch him in like those under eighteen games. Someone like him, someone that's an NBA prospect. At times, you just want to see them physically overpower people, and he'll get up into someone defensively and just kind of do like not the Kawhi thing where he yanks it out of their hands as they're standing still, but he can just kind of like move up on them and just not let them do anything, steal the ball, and then end up with a layup on the other end. So I think he's someone who can contribute pretty pretty quickly in at least some some manner. And uh, so I'd go with a four on his current talent. I had him at a three. Um, I think that he'll be able to contribute some defensively right away because of his instincts and his length. Uh, but I'm a little bit worried about his size and strength uh, coming in right away defensively, I think he might get pushed around a little bit. And that makes me wonder about, you know, his his on-ball offense right away as well. Um, I do think that 
if, if his jumper translates, he'll be able to be a, a positive offensive player uh, just because he's already, you know, such a smart passer as well, and I think he knows where to go. But I'm worried about things that are going to happen to him on the ball right away. Um, I'm, I'm not worried about that necessarily in the long term. Like, he has a frame that looks like it should allow him, you know, to add weight to it. But, you know, in, in terms of being able to contribute with the, the skill set he has right now. I think the skill set plays in the NBA, but he might be somewhat physically overwhelmed by bigger wings because, um, you know, he is 6'5", and they might put wings on him, especially if the Knicks don't add, like, another dynamic backcourt option. Like, if, let's say, he wound up with the Knicks and sorted next to Courtney Lee in the backcourt, I could easily see teams putting uh, a bigger wing defender on Neil Aquina at a point guard on Courtney Lee. Like if you know they played the Spurs, I could easily see them putting Danny Green on Neil Aquina and Tony Parker on Courtney Lee and just being like, you know, get physical and handsy with Neil Aquina and, you know, close out on Courtney Lee. You know, and I think that's something that might cause him a little bit of a problem at times. Well Chris Paul's gonna be the Spurs point guard next year, so Tony Parker's not gonna be guarding him. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Well, obviously we'll see if that happens, but you know, we'll see. Um, so, what about star potential? Now, I don't know how you, if you took this as you know from one to five, what is his highest level of talent going to be, or if you took it as what is the likelihood that he'll be a star? I, I did it uh, based on like what his ceiling. Most likely is. I think when I watch him, I th- I, I kind of think Drew Holiday. So I went with a three as star potential. I think Drew Holiday, what, what the situation Drew Holiday, if he resigns with the Hornets, is basically the perfect spot with him. He can be your third guy playing off two elite players, and that's probably where you are with what you would want the situation to be with, with Frank at, as he develops into his career. I don't know if he ever gets to the point where he's that number two player, but he can be a really good number three player on a, on a high-level team. So, first of all, it's interesting that you brought up Drew Holiday because you didn't even hear me instead of recording the podcast, and that's a comment that he brought up as well. So, that's, it's good to know you guys are on the same wavelength. Second of all, it's good that you did, um, for your star potential, you did the more of the side of, you know, what's, you know, from one to five is impact as a potential star. Um, because I did the other way. Uh, I did, you know, what is the likelihood that he'll be a star player? Um, so I think, you know, in combining those, that'll give us, you know, sort of a better idea of the, the true star potential because it's, where do you think he'll land, and what do you think the potential is that he'll be higher than that? Um, so I actually also had a three. I think he's more likely to wind up in one of those, like, starring your role kind of lanes, where he is you know, a very, very high-level role-playing starter um, you know, that, that allows him to do a bunch of different things because of his versatility. And I think what we're saying there is why he's a guy who makes sense more in that 6-7 range, and there's other people you'd take a shot of if they were lucky enough to jump up. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, we'll get to, to some of those guys as we go through. Um, but I, I do think that it's, it's also, I think, a little bit more difficult to tell for him with both the current talent and the solar potential because, uh, you know, admittedly, we haven't seen as much of him. You know, it's difficult. It's more difficult to find whole games. You know, we certainly don't watch as much French basketball or U18 basketball as, as college basketball. It's just not as readily available. So, you know. No, a lot of the, I mean, outside of Fultz also, a lot of the guys that are getting picked played in the, we got to see in the conference tournaments and the, and in the NCAA tournament. So you get to see them three, four, five, six times late in the, late in the season. It's pretty fresh compared to what we got to see with, with Frank. That's, that's um, So what do you have for uh, one to five for his potential fit uh, as a, you know, another Pillar kind of player next to Kristaps I think I, I put him as a five on this because of what uh, him poor. If you have Porzingis and Frank, I think you could. That's that's steps towards building a very good defensive team. It's going to be you can create good spacing on offense. The fit with it's less about the fit with Porzingis and more about. What other wing guards do you have with him to make the offensive game function to the level you would like it to? Yeah, I had um, I put like a three point five because you know I, I agree with what you said that you would be a long ways toward uh, you know being good defensively. Certainly longer than they've been uh, in a while, you know, because of his his defensive instincts and his length and his size. I know work really well at the point of attack. Now, the reason I bumped it down a little bit is because I think in order to maximize Porzingis, you want your point guard to be a little bit more assertive than Neil Akina is. You know, I think he's a good passer and he'd be able to find Kristaps, you know, in the spots that that he wants the ball. But I think you know the best case scenario for him is someone who is, you know, more likely to attack downhill and also find that outlet pass back to him on a pick and roll or, you know, push it up court and get him in the post early in the possession uh, rather than somebody who is, like, I don't want to say he's passive because he's not, but he's just not as necessarily forceful with, you know, his, his on-ball work as I would ideally like a point guard that plays with Chris Stapps to be. And I'm not talking about someone like Derek Rose, who, you know, looks to use what Chris Stapps provides to, uh, to find his own. That's not necessarily something you want. I'm talking about someone who, you know, by his own nature sort of forces the issue, and that forces the defense to adjust to him and not just to Porzingis. And I'm not sure that, that Frank is going to be someone that, forces the defense to adjust so much as he's someone that adjusts to what the defense does and then finds, you know, the, the pass or the drive or the shot out of that. And I think I might like to see somebody that's a little bit more assertive. Yeah, and I'd say it's not out of the the possibility that he ends up more assertive. I mean that's where it's he's eighteen years old. We'll see how we'll see how he develops in time. But that we we had the same Issue, I just considered it more of a, a less about a fit with Porzingis, that problem, than 
a team construction issue, and then maybe you can find a guard to line him up next to that does a little bit of that, and that could make the fit go up for Frank rather than it impacting his fit with Porzingis. So we both had the same questions about the skill set, but I decided to consider that less about the fit with Porzingis and more about who you pair him with in the backcourt. That makes sense. Um, you know, the, the one concern there would be that it's you know, a situation like this year where you're taking more touches away from Chris Stapps again. You know, if you have a guy who's you know the ball handling point guard plus another uh, you know assertive guard who's going to have the ball a lot, all of a sudden it's possible Chris Stapps comes third in line for touches, which is not necessarily something you want to see either. But I, I do think that that's a, a way to alleviate some of my cons- my concerns about the way. You know, I think he's going to be a good offensive player. It's just something that's not necessarily the perfect fit in terms of the way he plays offense. Um, there would be uh, th- there would be no reason to do that this year. I would just let if they if they get him, even if he's young, I would just let him play through it and learn and see and experiment with him as your lead guard and see put him out of. Very much like it's it's a little bit different, but you see the T you like the T Wolves got killed for playing Zach Levine at point guard early in his career. But you just it's a learning it's a team that wasn't winning and they weren't going anywhere. It was giving him experience playing with the ball in his hands and letting him expand his skill set farther and taking him out of his comfort zone. I'm a fan of at an early age if you let a player do more, it gives him experience and lets him practice things. And then as you get good, if he needs to reel that in, it's fine. You can do that. But then when he gets in, put into certain situations in a game that has a 24-second shot clock, so the game's built to make players uncomfortable at times because you're in a time setting, then he has experience doing the, those things. So you let him play point guard and you let him try some stuff at a younger age. And then as you're building the team and getting good, if he's not capable of doing those things that you tried with him, you can always adjust accordingly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's something that I've mentioned before uh, with Levine and with um, when the Magic did it with Oladipo back in the day. Um, it also works as sort of like a... Uh, a form of sneaky tanking, um, which uh, which is advisable if the Knicks are going to be bad next year as well. So I would agree, you know, let him try to learn on the job, let him try to work out those kinks, see if he can, uh, you know, be a little bit more aggressive. And then if, if you see that it's not going to work out that way, then you look to add somebody else next to him. And if he shows, you know, more in, in, in terms of that, then, you know, you got an even better player than you thought you did. Um, what about defensive potential? Where do you have him on the one to five scale? Uh, five. five. If, he, if his body fills out and the strength, he seems like a guy who gives great effort on defense. He'll push up in the backcourt and kind of do that thing where it's not you're not doing like a complete full-court press, but he's getting up into you and he's cutting off the amount of time on the shot clock and making it harder for other teams to get into their offense. He has good length. He has good lateral quickness. If the if the strength comes along, there's no reason he can't be an elite defensive point guard. Yeah, I had a five also for defensive potential. Um, the length, the 
height, you know, six foot five with like a six eight, six nine, maybe even six ten wingspan. Um, the ability potentially to switch across three positions uh, on the perimeter, I think, is really valuable. It, it opens up not only the kind of thing that you can do defensively when he's on the court, but the kind of players you can put on the court with him. And I think having that kind of player is always really valuable, especially on defense, because. Uh, you know, it allows you to do a bunch of different things. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about, about his ability. I'm, I'm, I think I'm more excited about his ability to, as a defender than I am uh, on offense, and I think he's a pretty good offensive player too. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, yeah, that, I mean, there's no that that's true. If you get a guy like this, you, and you play Porzingis at the five and uh, and Frank at the, at the one, you're looking at, you have good length at, both positions. I, I can't remember a Knicks team that had that kind of athletic ability and length at the five and one on the court at the same time regularly before. It would be it would be very exciting. Yeah, that's um, you know the, the point guard obviously is the hardest spot to guard in the league right now. And having a tall, long and if he fills out then strong defender, you know, at that spot, plus the guy who's gonna be guarding the pick and rolls uh, pretty often and defending the ring pretty often. Uh, having two guys with, with that kind of length would be uh, would be really, really good in terms of being able to uh, construct a good defensive team around that. You know, it might take a little while. Centers to generally don't reach their defensive peak until they're like in their mid to late 20s. Um, that's still even a few years off for Chris Stapps. And then Frank, I think it would take him a couple of years to reach his defensive peak as well, just in terms of adding strength to that frame. But potentially it would be really, really good. Um, so last one here, triangle fit. This is something I think we only really have to concern ourselves with for a couple more years, but we do have to concern ourselves with it for a couple of years. I think it will play into whether or not they're willing to pick a guy strongly because that's the way Phil operates. So where do you come down on that? Uh, five. He'll be able to play off if they're – run an offense and ask him to do things without the ball in his hand and cut and spot up away from the ball, playing off mid-post touches for other people. He can do all that so far. I'm going to talk depressed about I'm going to sound depressed every time we do this in each section. Yeah, I had a, I had a four. Um, I think that, like you mentioned, the, the versatile skill set works. The fact that he can play on and off the ball works. Um, I know his jump shot has looked good there, but that's something that always concerns me with Euro guys translating to the NBA. So I've got them on there just because of that. But I think, you know, in terms of the well-roundedness of his skill set, and I think this is why he's been talked about as someone that the Knicks are very, very interested in, because he can potentially shoot, cut, pass, work on the ball, work off the ball, and that's exactly the kind of player that that was looking for uh, in a triangle. So, you know, I think that very much so it will be a fit, maybe you know, more than a, a bunch of other guys. Um, so before we finish up on Frank, last one here, not in uh, you know, the rubric, but do you think he can potentially be better at some point at his peak than no. the South Pozenius? Yeah, me either. And that's, that's okay, but honestly. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, we'll talk to you next time about Josh Jackson from Kansas.